Hey, it's Greg. Great to have you here for Toronto Today. Lots coming up on today's podcast. We're glad you found us. Please feel free to share. Roman Baber, CPC leadership candidate, Anthony Farnell on our weather and the rain I woke up to that we're finally getting. We'll get into that. And, of course, Union Station, the shooting over the weekend, a big story. Ten years ago, we had a shooting in the Eaton Center, and we all reacted to it. How could this happen? What do we do? And a decade later, I'm worried we're getting a little numb to this with the shooting at the Raptors celebration stuck in between there few years ago, a few summers ago uh, in 2019. So we'll talk about some solutions, conversations. There aren't easy conversations. There aren't easy solutions. But we'll get into that as well. And Shiba Siddiqui and I, a couple chats as well on here. Hope you enjoy Toronto today. Thank you so much for listening. It begins now. And I don't often start the show and do a lot of time on shootings in Toronto because shootings are going to happen in Toronto. I saw the comment by the mayor, and I um, I would love to find somebody who agree, who disagrees with it. Any amount of gun violence in Toronto is unacceptable. Well, but it's understood there will be some. Like, let's make that clear. There are things a politician or somebody in law enforcement or somebody who's sort of a hybrid of both has to say, but you won't find too many debates on talk radio today, on this show, and on the shows that follow, uh, about, hey, is any level of gun violence acceptable? No, it's not, but it's understandable. Big difference between those two words, acceptable and understandable. Um, there is a key stat, and it's hard to get these stats in Canada, that does document 64% of people who are shot they don't have to die from the shooting like the person did on Saturday night. 64% of people that are shot know their assailant. They knew their assailant before. And that, and some of that is uh, is the you know plague that is domestic violence. Um, some of it, obviously, we deal with mass murders, and they got a lot of attention. I watched some uh, Uvalde video of uh, just harrowing stuff right now that we've seen the shooter walk in, walk in the hallways, get into the classroom. And then we've seen all these cops who thank heavens, the United States never sent into military combat because you'd lose to anybody with those Texas cops defending your country or trying to uh, free a, a non-democratic country. Um, it's unbelievable. Those people should never wear a badge again, should never get to be in, in the public eye again. But we had a shooting over the weekend in Toronto that people deemed harrowing. And I wondered if we've changed since 2012 and the Eaton Center shooting or whether or not the circumstances have changed. But something indeed has changed. And let me explain what I mean by that. And if you don't know the story, um, there was a shooting uh, not inside Union Station per se on Saturday night, but they had to clear out Union Station. And I know that people are saying, oh, it was rather orderly and people wa walked out and they no, like there there'd be panic. There'd be concern. You don't expect to have to evacuate Union Station at 730 on a Saturday night. Lots of people in town for the Honda Andy Blue Jays games letting out. We have concerts constantly. It's awesome. Um, one of my favorite games ever is to be on the go train or in Union Station and trying to guess who's playing at Bud Stage or or Scotiabank Arena or in the case sometimes uh, when the weekend is in town and the Rogers outing outage isn't happening, though the weekend could be playing. Um, but but we don't clear out Union Station at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, the busiest hub in the city for nothing. One man was shot. 
They found him near York Street and Bremner Boulevard, um, where the man ended up dying. And who knows, is is he walking for help? Is he trying to get somewhere? Does he not think he's as injured uh, as he is? Um, It's a strange one to figure out. Inspector Paul Krawchuk uh, said this about the shooting itself and who they're looking for. We now have a homicide investigation. We have two suspects. At this point, it's very early in the investigation, so I can't provide you much information, but I can tell you we believe there's approximately two. One was seen fleeing southbound towards uh, Lakeshore, and the other one fleeing into Union Station. Because of that, we locked down Union Station. All train service as well for TTC and Metrolix was closed down. We commenced a search along with our ETF and our PSRT teams. Okay, so you got a homicide investigation, but you got two suspects. I and I thought that was a little undersold yesterday um, by some people in the media. I'm like one person shot, but two suspects. Officers believe the shooting wasn't random. Okay, that's great, but um, it 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 doesn't have to be random or non-random for it to cause panic and alarm, and that's what it did. It's almost immaterial that the shooting wasn't random. Go back to my stats. 64% of shootings are someone knowing somebody and shooting another person. Could be a drug deal gone wrong. Could be just someone's upset with somebody. It could be something as terrible as something domestic in terms of uh, an abuse situation or a dispute. It could be that, but it's almost two thirds. So um, it's one of those things. And I think the inspector did document how harrowing this would be how unusual this is and what a hub of activity the city's main artery is and and the main meeting place if you're headed downtown and transportation hub can be to empty it out at 7:30 on a saturday i understand that this would be very concerning for the public to happen in such a public spot uh, during 7:30 in the evening shortly after a blue jays game gets out uh, i want you to know that um, from the preliminary investigation and again very early on that appears it is a targeted shooting so um, i don't believe there's a further public risk at this time okay so this is my question for you 289-975-1640 on text 289-975-1640 are we just numb to this now I don't care if it's uh, a random shooting because there's often collateral damage from random shootings. I don't care if it's a targeted shooting because there's collateral damage from targeted shootings. 289-975-1640. I just think we're numb to this now. We've gotten to the point in our city, and we I don't know how we got there, but I know we're here. I don't know the point where we cross over the bridge, we walk over the bridge, and we're to the other side where you hear about gunplay and a gun death in Toronto. And again, I, I oftentimes I'll hear it on, uh, on uh, you know, driving in. I'll hear about a shooting and I'm like, that's a news story. There's nothing really I can add to it. I can, f- you know, I can fill in some of the gaps. I don't have a hard opinion on it. But I heard about this one Saturday night around 11 o'clock um, in, well, I'm in Niagara Falls. Remember also in the spring where there actually might have even been last fall where there's a shooting at Clifton Hill and it was, what happened? Who was it? Did they get the people? When does Niagara Falls return back to normal? But there's no location. Here's where we're at in Toronto now. There's no location, no time of day, no outcome where you you raise your eyebrows and say, I'm so shocked. I'm so surprised. What's going on in our city? We don't. We might be asking the last question, but we know what's going on in our city. We're overrun with gun violence. We don't know where it's safe. We're all having a little bit of a dice roll. Okay, when you decide to go somewhere and the the cops write about that, 
Okay, Inspector Krawcheck's right about that, that there's a randomness to this that rattles people. And so we have to ask the, the follow-up question to the question I just asked. Can we get back to that point or not? Are we past the point of no return? When does this affect where we go and what we do? Can't go downtown. Too violent. Can't go here. Too violent. Look, there's not going to be no gun violence in a city the size of Toronto. There's not. There's going to be spots that are safer to live in than others. And as I've said, you never have to apologize to look out for your own safety, to preserve your own self. Don't feel bad if you live in a neighborhood where you make a 911 call and a cop shows up within 90 seconds. You pay for that service. You knew that would be the case when you moved there. And you have every reason. If you want a, cap, uh, a cop to come and get a cat out of a tree and you live somewhere where they'll do it, don't apologize because you live somewhere. You don't live somewhere where they won't. Don't do that. But this is where it's at right now. And we question this as well, where the last two attacks on TTC buses or at TTC bus stops, the guy sets the woman on fire and she dies, affects our confidence in terms of where we can go and where we can't. And let me back the tape up to 10 years ago and the Eden Center shooting. We reacted a lot more vociferously and for longer for the Eden Center shooting than we have so far with this Union Station shooting and and how we're going to react to the Union Station shooting. We couldn't believe it. I remember remember uh, Blue Jays uh, infielder Brett Laurie was there and he was started tweeting about it. And he's like, there's gunshots going up. I just finished a game and I'm at Eden Center, you know, tooling around. But gunshots, I was like the most famous person there, so that's why I reference him. And that shooter just got sentenced, but also convicted of killing two people. He gets life in prison. Here's what uh, one person named Nicholas told our own Catherine McDonald, who was covering this scene 12 years ago about the Eden Center shooting. It mustn't have been too, uh, too far from the shooter because well, I'm shot. It's ridiculous. I can't really believe, like, right, right there in uh, the Eden Center. So at least this person was convicted of killing two people. By the way, lovely court system. We only convicted him in November of 2019. It took seven years to convict somebody who fired 14 bullets into a crowded food court at the busiest mall in our country. Maybe it's Edmonton. Um, but either way, um, that was a 32-year-old uh, when he was sentenced. He was 25 when he did the shooting. But we, were, we weren't numb to that then, and I feel like we are now. And we either got to fix the numbness or fix the problem. And I feel like we can get to the former before we can get to the latter. Maybe you have thoughts on this, 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640. What fixes this? But you shrug your shoulders and you go, not surprising, it's Toronto, and people have guns and they're using them. And of course, hashtag, any level of gun violence is unacceptable, but I expect it and you expect it. Problem is, we're not supposed to expect it at Union Station at 7.30 on a Saturday night. And that's the part that needs to change. I watched this, observed this last week while I was on vacation. And uh, I, I think you know that our show uh, took a bit of a pivot on COVID uh, around late November, I think. And I want to say a couple weeks into Omicron, I think we realized what this was and what this wasn't. And I noted, uh, I did note while I was away, uh, Dr. Kieran Moore made the point as he expanded access to fourth COVID-19 shots. By the way, all for that. I think we were a little late on giving access. 
but he talked about risk benefit. He also talked about it for younger people uh, with a greater risk, especially males under 40, of um, of some heart inflammation, of myocarditis. And you know we were talking about that on the show in November, December. Uh, my parents in their 70s have four shots. I have three right now. No plans right now to get a fourth. That's my choice. And my two boys have two shots. We did not boost them, and uh, we would prefer not to boost them at this particular time. They've both been in a house where there's been COVID before. So I, I thought that was interesting that finally uh, an acknowledgement of, uh, of the risk, small albeit, for younger people with myocarditis. Um, I think there needs to be more discussion about natural and acquired immunity, uh, and I don't get where it is. And I, I we won't just talk about this exclusively with our next guest, but it obviously uh, got him uh, in the headlines, and, and it's still something I'm sure people approach him for. But he is also running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, and he's a former MPP here in Ontario. Roman Baber joins us on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thank you for making the time for me and our audience. Great to be with you. Did you have a moment where you had a pivot? Did you look, Roman, from the start of this in 2020 and thought, we're not sure what this is. We've all been hit by something across the planet. We all have to take an abundance of caution, see who this is affecting and who this isn't affecting. Do you have a moment where kind of reality became clear to you and, and you're like, this is what I think of this? Yes. I was standing on Cumberland Avenue in the middle of May 2020. I left uh, a meeting with public health in which I learned that over 80% of those that regretfully passed away from the virus were residents of long-term care homes. And I suggested that we should be throwing our resources into congregate settings instead of locking down healthy people and potentially making them sick. At the same time, we also learned that the virus is a lot more transmissible than we thought in that for every person we were testing positive for COVID, around the world, there were 20 to 50 more walking around with COVID. And that meant that all the metrics that we're worried about, like hospitalizations and death, were thankfully a lot lower than we initially thought. So I urged for reassessment of the risk, which unfortunately hasn't happened. And for about a year to two years, we continued to treat the virus as if it is still March or April 2020 without a risk reassessment, something that resulted in a colossal policy error and caused a lot of harm to people, young people, business, the economy, and our country at large. I think there's a lot that we're we're still looking at public health officials, and I, I wish there was more, like I said, an admission and acknowledgement. I watched Dr. Ja, even in the States, who's the White House uh, COVID response coordinator, talking about mask mandates. And to, and to me, if you want to wear a mask, fantastic. Mandates don't actually work. There's no data. There's no graph I've looked at that would suggest they work. Um, the boosters obviously aren't halting spread, but I was encouraged that my elderly parents wanted to get a fourth shot. There has to be something you look at and you go, I didn't get this right. Or I was a little late. To, I was a little late on ventilation. I think it is important for buildings. I, I do think that. Was there anything you were late on or you regret saying or you're like, I, I just missed on this and I wanted to recorrect myself a little later? Well, I regret that I didn't come out on this earlier. As most of your uh, listeners know, I was removed from the Ontario Progressive Conservative Caucus by Doug Ford in January 2021 when there is no discussion. I came out and, and wrote a letter to the premier saying, <clears throat> let's focus on when the risk is, but also appreciate the collateral harm of lockdowns, which is causing um, an unintended consequence on families, on, on children. We know that Ontario had more than a million cancer screenings missed. And so now we're seeing mm -hmm. a tsunami of cancer. 
We know that uh, we had about 360,000 surgeries delayed. In Canada, it's about 800,000. We cannot catch up. Uh, we know that our children have regressed considerably. Uh, I speak to a grade three teacher that tells me that her grade threes read at a grade one level. And so we have hesitated to do a risk reassessment because of politically correct cancel culture that would thwart uh, Canadians and, and, and people in the media and, and, and generally uh, doctors from speaking out and looking at the situation objectively. No one denies that COVID is a serious infection. It can be very dangerous to certain populations, but a risk reassessment was in order because we know that it doesn't affect all people equally. Same with the vaccine. We need to consider the relative risk benefit of the vaccine, and it's a fair discussion to have. And I'm glad that finally, after about two years, the medical officer is raising this discussion. That is good science. What was happening before is not good science. I wonder if people think you're early because you did this in January 21. I think when most people got their second vaccine, let's say, Roman, or healthy people like like me, I think, uh, got their first vaccine, but especially the elderly and the immunocompromised got their second. I think most people looked in the mirror and said, my danger is over. So do, do you think if you write that letter, if you say what you said six months later, is there a little more consideration? Or when you write it, you're like, I- I'm going to get kicked out of the caucus. I didn't know what was going to happen to me politically, nor did I care. And I take the fact that I was early as a compliment. I was the first one essentially in our country, first mainstream, and especially the first and only conservative politician to oppose the lockdown, uh, sorry, to oppose the mandates and to oppose the passports, because I believe it's inhumane to make someone choose between their ability to put food on the table and their personal healthcare choice. And for the record, we still agree that it's still a choice. But forcing someone to to do something at a cost of their ability to to put a roof over their head takes away that choice. We have always known that the way that you uh, measure recommendations on uh, pharmaceuticals, on on vaccines, is to evaluate the benefit, which is the reduction of the risk, time the risk of contagion, measure that against the risk of the vaccine itself. Mm. I, I welcome the doctor finally saying that if you're a healthy young person, you need to consider, you need to weigh the risk of the vaccine versus benefit. One out of 5,000 risk of myocarditis is not a small risk when you compare that to the risk of hospitalization for young people. One out of 5,000 is a large Toronto high school. And so to suggest that mm-hmm. that uh, one out of 5,000 people, uh, you know, it's, it's okay for them to potentially be exposing themselves to myocarditis, I'm not sure that that makes sense to them, although it's their individual choice. And that's what I always argued. Do what you believe is right for yourself together with your doctor, but don't have government force you by denying you access to normal well, life or to your job. No, and, and I abhor the idea of, of mandating it for schools. Uh, the, the second Stephen Del Duca did that, I noticed two things during the last election campaign. One, there wasn't a single liberal MPP candidate or a sitting liberal MPP. I mean, there were only seven of them that endorsed that on their Twitter feed or said, yes, I, I have no idea it was so out of left field. I need to ask you, when the provincial election results happened, what did you think when Doug Ford wins a, a landslide? I had a lot of people tell me, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not a big Doug Ford fan. I don't want to vote for Doug Ford, but I'm worried the other parties will lock me down again or make me wear a mask or make me get a vaccine. Did you hear that from a lot of people who voted? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's precisely what what, compre- what changed the landscape of this election is when Stephen Del Duca said, he's going to vax school, uh, he's going to mandate the vaccine schools. And, and Andrea Horvath essentially said that she's going to make kids wear an N95 mask forever. I'm exaggerating, of course, a little bit, but just a bit. Uh, but, what, but one minute, Greg, <laughs> one minute. Okay. Beyond mandating it in schools, 
kids were not able to participate in hockey. Kids were not able to, to walk into and sit down at McDonald's. We were denying mm-hmm. 12 to 18 year olds the ability to, <clears throat> to, to play with, with their friends at, at uh, I don't know, at a bowling alley. So, so let's not suggest that we have already not tried to force young kids into the backs. And that's the mo- worst decision that we have imposed on parents of all the catastrophes that have happened in the last two years, this is one of the most inexcusable ones, is that we made parents, parents who, who may be educated, who appreciate the risk versus the benefit, we made them choose between forcing their kids to potentially incur yeah. a risk that they don't need to incur versus their kids not being able to participate in normal life. Imagine a parent in that situation. And I asked that in your follow-up question, you permit me to speak about the data for a minute because it was difficult to gauge the risk of hospitalization because we didn't even have accurate hospitalizations numbers. We know that half the hospitalizations were with COVID, not from COVID. So when we were trying to do the analytical exercise of measuring the risk, the data, the junk data provided to us by public health authorities would not allow us to gauge that risk fairly. Hey, Roman, I got a blast here, but I want to have you on early next month. I know it's a long summer. I know what you're uh, attempting to do and campaigning for the leadership. So next time you're on, let's do let's book this in a couple weeks, 10 days from now. Let's talk exclusively about why you want to be the leader of the CPC. Can we do that? Absolutely. Folks are welcome to join us at joinroman.ca. I look forward to conclusion of this conservative leadership race. Thanks, Roman. Appreciate the time today. Thank you, Greg. Roman Baber joining us on Toronto Today. Uh, we have several reports of uh, of raining men, but just on this song, it's never a, Gord, it's never an actual physical meteorological phenomenon that's happened that it's been raining men. No, um, there's no way to prove it. There's no way to prove it ever happened, even you know in previous centuries. But there's rumors. There's always rumors. That's <laughs> not. But most of the regular sized men, if they ever rain down, there'd right. be some major pooling and ponding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm, re- you know, I'm reminded of the Caddyshack line. You know, I've, I've, you got a pool, and and uh, Chevy Chase tells Bill Murray, "We've got a pool and a pond. Pond, pond would be better for you." <laughs> oh yeah. It's not. Need a bigger target. That's right. That's right. That too. Uh, so we're getting the rain we wanted, and only one human being uh, who's never rained down from the sky that we're aware of also uh, to thank. And it's Anthony Farnell, chief meteorologist for Global News. Oh, this is what we wanted on Monday morning. Not just to chat with you, but I I woke up to the sound of rain at if I'm going to have to set my alarm, Anthony, at 3.43 a.m. for the first time in 11 days, I want to hear that rain pounding down to fix that brown lawn. I want that. And you gave it to me today. Yeah, no, it, it's actually an, an ideal scenario as far as uh, our drought that we have ongoing and, and just so much dry, crispy lawns and, and <laughs> gardens. And uh, for all the farmers out there, this was the widespread rain. And the fact that it, it happened overnight Sunday into Monday morning and not ruining our weekend plans was was just perfect timing. So, uh, yeah, 20 to, to 40 millimeters around the greater Toronto area back towards southwestern Ontario, even more in Niagara. And now most of that is actually pushing off towards eastern Ontario. Still some showers to get through, but not the steady rain that that we saw or that you woke up to this morning. So here's the question. More rain today than we've seen, what, in the last three weeks, four weeks combined? 
all told? Yeah, in, in at least the last four or five weeks, even uh, we're we're talking about uh, only a fifteen to twenty millimeters in that time, and in many locations, and that's why it's been just so brown and, and dry out there but uh yeah if you add 30 or 40 millimeters what we got just in the last 12 hours uh we're making up for a lot of lost time and, and it was a steady rain so it wasn't just this torrential thunderstorm downpour that doesn't get absorbed into the ground a lot of this did so uh yeah we're not completely uh back from from the brink but uh i think we're gonna get a, a few more showers maybe in some storms on tuesday afternoon wednesday late day could be uh, active so so we're gonna we're gonna get some rain here this week so and we're talking yeah it doesn't tune down or uh, or tone down the humidity uh in the least we're still looking at a, a pretty thick humidex uh today uh we'll, we'll be pushing near 31 and same thing tuesday and wednesday but you say wednesday there's the chance for a lot more thunder lightning that we're going to have either today or even potentially tomorrow. Yeah. And, and it's been uh, not just dry, but we haven't seen much severe storms around here for, for quite some time since really the beginning or the end of spring, the beginning of summer. So uh, I am concerned, especially on Wednesday, uh, there's a lot of heat, a lot of humidity. It'll feel like almost 40. Uh, this is the air mass that, that's right now in, in places like Southern Manitoba yesterday, Winnipeg, the, the highest humidity absolute humidity reading that they've ever had so that's kind of what's headed our way maybe not to that extreme but then we have a cold front coming through and and yeah some of these storms uh are going to be severe late wednesday there's even a tornado risk with this so we'll be we'll be watching that i may go out chasing we'll see but uh, definitely stick with us for uh for an update as we get a little bit closer to that we like when you chase now um it's unbelievable like you don't think about it but we're well aware of Global warming, we're well aware of, of the impact on temperature. So when I see a headline in The Guardian yesterday, England braces for 40 degrees Celsius temperatures as experts warn thousands could die. Okay, that's a headline that grabs me. They've got a level four heat alert, uh, which means, Ill, quote, illness and death may occur among the fit and healthy. And I think, as you know, there's areas in the in the southern U.S. There's areas even here in Canada where we're like, yeah, we know it's coming, but They're not used to it there. 40 degrees in England is not something you see in a headline very often, but they're getting those kind of runs these past few summers. Yeah, and and, I mean, the warmest it's ever been in the UK is 38. So uh, this is unprecedented, and a lot of their records go back longer than in, in most Canadian cities. So it, it's not something really to laugh about. The, we mentioned the, the lack of AC. It just doesn't happen often. Uh, what, what's causing this, it's basically air that's coming directly from northern Africa right up into uh, the UK, Ireland, uh, most of Europe as well. We've, we've already seen, uh, unfortunately, hundreds of people dying every day. And this is just going to be worse as, as it peaks in the next two days. I'm just looking at London now, 36 mm-hmm. But uh, they still have about two or three hours of, of daytime heating to go. And then tomorrow's that day that they should top 40. So uh, it, it's a bad situation. It, it's something that's becoming more common. You don't directly associate with climate change. But when these events happen every year somewhere on the planet, uh, we start to be concerned. And uh, in this case, it's a major population center that that is not used to it. Uh, and then the fire risk in Europe, too, has just been going out of control. And, and I think 
even though it gets knocked back the heat, it's going to be a, a rough second half of summer with, with all of the dry, hot conditions that exist there. Unreal. Unreal. Well, uh, we, we hope for uh, good things over there. Fingers crossed. And we like this rain. Uh, it's bringing us here. We'll be watching at 530 and 6 tonight. Anthony and chatting next Friday heading into the weekend. Thank you. Sounds good. Anthony, Welcome back, by the way. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Anthony Farnell, uh, chief meteorologist for Global News. You can see him at 530 and 6. Shiba Siddiqui rejoins me now. And uh, I'm a big, uh, big fan of Niagara Falls. I hear people sometimes and like, oh, and they think it's kitschy and they think it's corny and they don't like. I loved it. And Friday night, I was telling you on the phone yesterday, taking my 14-year-old there for a soccer term. He was doing things that I don't think my 16-and-a-half-year-old son would do, like th- that two-and-a-half-year age gap. There's a lot of growth, and there's a lot of, like, come on, Dad, like, th- and there's a lot of eye-rolling. Cool I'm not yeah, as cool not- as I used to be in one bedroom as I am in another. I hope that made sense. <laughs> but my 14-year-old was go doing go-karts. We're, we're shooting at zombies, and we're riding uh, the little roller coaster there at Clifton Hill. I just, I loved it. I And I think we take Niagara Falls for granted. We're going to do the quiz on Niagara Falls in a little bit. I think we take it so for granted how close it is and how much people yep. want to go there who are from other countries. I love it too. And honestly, it's just, I grew up, you're right, from other countries because, I mean, I grew up in Ottawa, okay? And anytime we had any relatives come from out of the country, from where, from Asia, from Europe, wherever it was, okay, get in the car, we're going to Niagara Falls. And that's that's the one thing this this family or these people wanted to see was we need to see it up close. We've only seen it in movies and in pictures and there was no Internet back then. So we would all drive to Niagara Falls. And you're right. I love it, too. Even to this day, like I I don't know if I can go regularly, I'll be honest. But I mean, once a year for sure, maybe twice a year, like overnight for like, you mm-hmm. know, two or three days and just do the whole thing. I love it. I, I do love the feeling of it. And you're right. It is so international when you're there. Do you know that it's a big honeymoon spot? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 People, people love it. And I, I understand why. There's that big scene. Uh, this is more a vintage movie. So maybe Gord is uh, into Superman 2, yeah. right? Where the kid falls off. He falls into the falls. But Clark Kent and Lois Lane are there to consummate their relationship. That's right. He saves him. He saves all of a sudden he turns. Oh my God, you're wearing red and blue tights with a cape. When I used to uh, do Kelly Cotrera show, they had the mayor of Niagara Falls on and I petitioned him to put a plaque on the ground oh, where, where the kid Reeves falls stood. in. I don't know. Oh, where Christopher Reeves stood. Okay. Because yeah. because no actors were injured no, or no. animals or, or nope. children were injured in the filming of Superman 2 yeah. that we're aware of. That we're aware of. But yeah, like, like Sheba, I, I think about it and I'm like, that two or three nights stay, because you're kind of in the lobby of the hotel and you overhear, oh, we're here for three nights, three, we're here for, I think, like, I don't think anybody goes there for a week. Um, no. It's too much, unless you're headed yes. all through the wineries, all through New York State, maybe for a few days, and then and that's your central location. But it's a perfect long weekend. It's a perfect oh. long weekend to get out of the city. And not everyone's a cottager. Not everyone does that. So if you like the urban stuff and you still like restaurants and the the Wolfgang Puck type stuff. It's perfect for you. Then and, and look at it, all that sort of brand management that's gone into Niagara Falls the last few years. A ton of it has. Oh, really? It has completely changed. I mean, if you look at just the way and like they have this new area of downtown now that's that's coming up. It's up and coming. All these new buildings and new restaurants. But I love it. I think that everybody. I agree with you. We do absolutely take it for granted because it's in our backyard, right? Uh. It's right there. That's any. I think that's any major city with any major anything. Look, look, look at the CN Tower. We take that for granted. I mean, I I've grown up taking relatives up there my whole childhood, and now I barely go. I took the kids there. We won't go for another decade. We're good. 
another t- I I because I see people downtown and they'll take pictures of themselves in front of Union Station and you can tell they're tourists, right? Like, why would you and I take a picture of ourselves in front of yes. Union Station? But they do it because they're like, I made it. I'm in Toronto. My you know my plane landed. Here we are in this, and and they'll take pictures of other stuff too. Uh, but they're there now. One big thing I did last week in uh, Grand Bend and Nipperwash was my first e-bike experience. And then you tell me that you're an e-bike owner for the what a year a couple of years no i bought it last year okay yeah, so you've had it about a year. year it is one of my after my apple watch in this home i tell my kids this, I'm like, if there's ever a fire i'm gonna grab my watch and my e-bike and, you and guys, you're on your own yeah you are on your own. <laughs> i love hold, my hold e-bike. on to the rear rear wheel of the e-bike and you'll be safe from the fire <laughs> otherwise i can't promise anything those are my two. I'm telling you, I'm surprised. Yes, last last week was your first time. What did you think? I loved it. I loved it. Now it isn't. You feel like uh, you're with a with a, a small C, not a capital C, cheating a little bit when you like throttle the 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 right. You know, you you throttle up and and you're sort of coasting like a scooter. Totally, it's amazing. But you're <laughs> so it's not like <laughs> I don't think anybody goes out and brags about their e-bike uh distance Workout. like they would a run or an 80 mile <laughs> cycle without the uh electric part pushing you along but i love the feel of it and then i put my 16 year old on it and he was like oh yeah like he he's amazing d- yeah they they went about 20k each way like I, and i think the charge was only for 70k and i'm like we rented them for the day and i'm like it didn't leave me many kilometers left because they give you these huge battery packs right that fit yes. in the back but you tell me like what can you what can you charge them up to you can't you can't charge them for they got to be charged every day in essence, don't they? No, well it depends how much you use it for. I think mine goes for like mine goes for a while. Like I could put like a hundred kilometers on it. Okay, they gave I us seventy for each charge. bike. Yeah, so but for me, I use it like honestly, I use it in my neighborhood. So I got one. Uh, our executive producer Jason Chapman had come over that day, and he uh, 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 the same week that I bought mine, I was like, I want to show you my bike, and it was a fat bike. I bought the fat bike, and where did I buy it from? Best place in the world. I did not go to a cycle shop. Costco. That's it. Costco's. Yeah, I went and I got picked it up. But then it was too big for me, so I was going to return it. I looked at my husband. I'm like, eh, do you want it? And they're not. Much, I'm getting, they're not much getting, more than regular, really good bikes. Yeah, that's they're the thing. Not. They're not. But cyclists hate me. Like yeah. well, if we're going uphill, they're all pedaling cyclists, like regular cyclists, and then I just press a button. I'm not even pedaling. I don't even pretend to pedal. I just yeah. zoom right by them, and they're all giving me dirty. Tremendous looks. cyclist snobbery exists out there. We know this. Okay, I- missed the quiz. The four for four quiz every morning after uh, the 730 news update. And we're just talking about Niagara Falls. And I'm like, let's learn a little more about one of our uh, great treasures, uh, the city next to it, St. Catharines. I'm going to get in trouble if I keep Gord digging <laughs> uh-huh. in on the, on St. Catharines. Yeah. What did they do? Uh, I know they're just like it's but it's hard to compete, right? It's oh, like, yeah. what do you do? Like you could say, let's let's build our own casino in St. Catharines. Let's build our own. Well, they could. If they want to. Hotel that's five-star and with a five-star restaurant. Even we'll settle for four and a half. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're right next to the Welland Canal. Yeah, that's a good selling point. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a good sell. Dave, any racetracks in St. Catharines? Just outside in Thorold, actually. Thorold. I'm a big Thorold fan. Yeah, so Merrittville Speedway is a dirt track that's been out there for years. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. Um, And I drove by the uh, Grand Bend Speedway. We have been before to the Grand Bend Speedway, and it gets loud there. Yeah. Loud there on a Saturday night. Not as loud as Delaware. 
No, but, but it's loud. A, it is a good time. So it's a good time. Niagara Falls. Let's do our quiz with uh, Sheba, Dave, and Gord. What year? Marineland's a big uh, attraction there. Okay, it is. Uh, I remember going there as a little little kid. Uh, the killer whales and the belugas and all that stuff. What year did Marineland open? 1955, 1961, or the Summer of Love, um, 1967? Gord, let's start with you. 55, oh. 61, 67. Let's go 67. Dave? I, I don't want to copy Gord, but so I'm going to say 1961. Well, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's got an 830 yeah. winning percentage uh, at, this, <laughs> at the quiz over the... Uh, okay. And uh, Sheba? 1967. 1961 is the what great lake oh this was on your grade seven geography quiz that uh, we all either passed or failed what great lake does the niagara river empty into Just, yeah think about it for a sec there's only five choices and it's not superior so I'll, I'll take that off the list that wouldn't make sense dave let's go with you uh mr one and oh i it empties into lake ontario sheba same answer. They're right Gord. beside each other. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, all right. I'll, I'll toss a softball in once in a while. It is like Ontario. <laughs> According to a 2008 study, how many million people visit Niagara Falls annually? Million people. Is it 20, 25, or 30? This is a 14-year-old study. We couldn't find a more recent one. 20, mm. 25, or 30, Sheba? I'm going to say 30 million. Okay. Gord? Yeah, I think it's high. I think it's 30. Dave? I, uh, 14 years ago, I'm going to say it was 20. You got it. It is 20 oh, million. Dave. Yeah. Big brain. I don't even know how many. Like, if you <laughs> divide 365 by 20 million, it's just like tens of thousands yeah, every yeah, day. Totally. Yeah. Yes. To do that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's the it, biggest thing. And and by the way, people who come from uh, other countries often think it's right next to Toronto. And you're like, no, no, no. It's a bit of a drive. Yeah, it's a little and, bit And if you leave at 4 o'clock on a weekday, it's a lot of a drive. <laughs> yeah, you get to see it at night. It's not. You can't walk there from Toronto. No. You can't take a, like, a, it's not a 10-minute subway ride no. to see the falls. But try explaining that. Yeah, I know. And then explain it again. Uh, and finally, uh, our fourth question. The, adult, the current adult price... For the Maid of the Mist. Has anyone ever done Maid of the Mist? Every year yeah, I go, I, I say I'm yeah, going to, and then we didn't. We just ran out of time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You've done it, eh? I did it once, yeah. You wear the raincoat. You're out on the top deck there. Yes. You're getting... And Canadians, the Canadian boats, you have your, a red raincoat that they give you. And the American boats, it's a blue raincoat. Fun fact. Oh, oh. I never knew that. Never knew that. So the, on the Canadian side, what's an adult ticket uh, for Maid of the Mist? Gord? Ooh. And within, let's do it within a four... Dollar leeway to get the answer right. You go on your permanent record. Four dollar leeway. Either way. So feel like I'm on the prices right. Twenty two fifty, Bob. We were watching some of that the other day with some bad bids. So much bad math on that show. Twenty two bucks. Okay, Sheba. Okay, and this is an adult ticket. This right? is an adult mm. ticket. Uh, By the way, adults start on the Maid of the Mist at thirteen. What is that? Uh, we oh, should try them all see. as adults when they yeah. commit a crime. That's my I'm take say- for today. $25. $25. Okay. And Dave, yeah, don't do the $1 thing and underbid no. them. You don't get to come on stage. As a matter of fact, I, I think we're not it's, playing it's the grocery game. Far more expensive. I'm going to say it's like $42. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, you'd have a pretty empty boat. Sheba's right. It's $25. Nice. And 25 cents exactly. So that bell would Ooh. ring and you'd come on stage and we'd do the, what the Gord, what's your Plinko? Oh, the yodeling thing? Yeah. The, the yodel. I love that guy. <laughs> By the way, we, we tuned it on in the hotel room on Friday. We're, no word of a lie. And Drew Carey just, 
He just looks different than he used to on the Drew Carey show. Well, yeah, isn't he? Isn't he blonde? And and he's kind of blonde. He's kind of healthy. Skinny. He's yeah. wearing trainers. Yeah. He's kind of oh, yeah. dressed down a little bit. It's not like Bob Barker where he do that Casual. stride out. They've gotten rid of the long, thin yeah, microphone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, by the way, you're watching Prices Right on your vacation. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> we you, t- you need <laughs> to plan better. I things. know, but you know what you do when you get into a hotel room and yeah. we're like, you turn on the TV, you flick through the. Cha- I always love a hotel, by the way, where the channels move fast. Some of these fancy oh, hotels. I know. The channels take forever to cycle through. Yeah, that's true. Oh, and uh, and yeah, and you're getting people bidding like the guy next to you bids eleven hundred dollars, and then you're like ten seventy five, and I'm like, you've given yourself only a twenty five dollar window for this Amana <laughs> GE range. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, bid eleven oh one, and that that's sort of. So not only did you watch Prices I'm- Right on your vacation, you got angry at yeah. Prices Right on your vacation. Because during the, when you want to get on stage, I want to see a $1 bid at some point in time. I'm disappointed by somebody who won. And then if you go third and go $1, the next person should go $2. And then yeah. fist fights I've break out. I've never seen $2. I've always seen the one. $1.50? I mean, Sheba, we didn't, I didn't even ask you for cents. So like, you got the price exactly right for Made of the Mist. Well, we do it every time we go once a year. We go and we do it. I can't. But they have something they new, money. right? They have some kind of new something there. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you can walk. Not that you can walk behind. You could already do the walk behind the phone. Yeah. There's something else. There's a new. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I think no. it's okay. yeah. It's still, it's part of that behind the falls, but I think it's more expanded. Yeah, there's a new tunnel. Yeah. I think, yeah. isn't there? Was yeah, it, that's what it is. It's a tunnel. It's a tunnel. Was it only like seven years ago that the guy walked across? So Nick, and it was on the, TV Melinda. at night. Yeah. The, one of the flying oh, the Melinda, Melinda brothers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the brothers. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think they are. That was whole family. One of the Mary J. Lo at one point in the in the <laughs> mid nineties. <laughs> Eager to uh, have our next guest on. He has run for mayor before in the city, but he's running in Ward Eight. And uh, we've talked about Spadina, Fort York. That's a biz, uh, a, a big area. A lot of issues for transportation. A lot of issues with commuting. And uh, and yeah, crimes on every. Listen, crimes on everybody's mind uh, after the weekend. So it's significant stuff. I'm happy to welcome to the show Toronto City Council candidate uh, Rocco A. Champong. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Rocco. I appreciate you making the time. Thank you, Greg. Uh, and good morning to you. It's a delightful rainy morning. It is. We needed the rain, man. Like we needed, uh, we we needed it. And uh, and nice to get through the weekend without big plans. And we we could all hunker down for six. Uh, you know, if you hunker down for months on end, I think we can handle six hours where uh, our gardens get to grow again. I figure that's true. I think nature is very thankful for that. <laughs> um, tell us about your decision to run. I I know, and I've said this before to city council candidates, MPP candidates. It's not easy. It's not easy to put your name out there. It's. I think it's harder now than ever to dedicate. Uh, people have great lives in the private sector. So I know a lot of people say, why would I want people going through my laundry? Why would I want to be scrutinized? Why would I want them to check out every aspect of my social media? It's stuff we didn't have to worry about 30 years ago. Why was this important to you to make a difference to Toronto? Well, as you know, um, Greg, uh, participation in our community is a part and parcel of who we are as a people in this city. Uh, And we form into uh, collectives, whether or not we are residents associations, if you're businesses and business improvement associations, always trying to improve our community. And uh, living in Spadano, Fort York, uh, there are just so many issues that we as a community have been able to identify. Um, Our streets are unclean, as you've already made mention Mm -hmm. to. Our streets are unsafe. Um, <clears throat> I'm a father uh, of uh, three boys, two uh, relatively young ones, 
childcare was an issue when trying to find it at a ward. Schools, when they're prepared to go to uh, junior kindergarten, senior kindergarten are going to be somewhat hard because we seem to have developed and planned um, Spadana Fort York without a view to uh, families and growing families at that. Um, property tax freeze, heritage preservation, just to make sure that we're not all surrounded by cement, green space and parks, mental health supports, affordable housing, and just try to improve our community and make it more livable and affordable. And and there are things, I, it, like it's not a useless process. I know people say, what can we do? It's a global economy. There's things at the national level. And there's things at the provincial level, but there are some things we can do. What I see around me demographics wise, I love digging into demographics is Rocco. This is a very difficult city uh, for, to rent in. So we're going to lose university students and college students and people trying to get that first job. They're making 40, 50 grand a year. It's a hard city to come to and sort of start foundation up. And guess what? Also, Rocco, we're going to lose young families. It is very difficult. Daycare, the space in the backyard. People are going to flood to the suburbs, and especially if they can work from home now. So I worry our city's going to die on the vine a little bit. And you're probably like me. You don't want to see that happen. Well, all indications are, Greg, that there's already the sprawl. Young families are moving to smaller townships, smaller cities uh, to be able to raise families. If we want to be able to replicate the experience, I'm from Toronto. If you Mm. want to be able to replicate the experience most of us had as a a childhood, uh, being able to have the the space and, uh, in my case, having the the hills in and around the the green space for us to go uh, tobogganing, uh, play some football, catch football, what have you. we're going to have to make sure we take a um, a very deliberate decision, uh, but also resolve that we are going to make sure the city is affordable and we're going to take every step to make sure it is affordable. Um, and you are correct. We are losing families. A lot of young people who are getting married see the city as unaffordable. And in so far as knocking on doors, speaking to renters, quite a lot of people are having to make decisions because the city has reached a point where affordability is is the biggest issue. And let's see what we can do about that at the municipal level. Rocco H.M. Pong, our guest on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. You know, I mentioned at the top of the hour um, that happens. That's not a usual weekend that we close up Union Station or someone is shot uh, outside Scotiabank Arena. We know there's going to be crime. There's going to be crime in every major city. But we're just we've gotten too numb to this. The Eaton Center shooting happened 10 years ago, Rocco. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And we talked about that. And we're like, what can we do to solve this, save this, prevent this? And I'm worried that it's just moving too fast. Right. And it's a bullet train. No pun intended. And and like like that, that should not be the norm and the usual what happened Saturday. And I'm worried it's getting there. Uh, and it might get worse before it even becomes get, uh, gets better if we don't tackle the issue head on and start uh, reframing um, our approach to uh, solving the issue by focusing on the uncontrollable, the ungovernable, as opposed to the law-abiding citizens. My son uh, works at Scotiabank Arena. Mm-hmm. He loves Leafs. He loves uh, the Maple Leafs, and he wants to get closer to his heroes just by watching them and being event staff. Imagine if he was working that day. Imagine if I had to receive the terrible news. No parent ever wants to receive that news, um, that something has happened to your little boy. And 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 there are so much, there's so much we can do. And what we can start doing is telling the truth about what is really happening. I I joined the mayor um, and, and city council in expressing how unacceptable it is for the city, but we have to start focusing on um, the uncontrollables, the ungovernables, those that are finding it easy to join gangs and finding it um, as a as an option 
to really join gangs. I think we need to get to them very early, uh, expend necessary educational resources to catch them at the source in the schools, uh, in the community centers, and invest in that culture just so that they don't find uh, that sort of life, uh, which is very fleeting, which either leaves you dead or in jail, um, more attractive uh, than participating in life fully. So, Rocco, how do we fix a scenario where just a month ago you've got the Toronto police chief publicly apologizing for, in essence, over policing black residents? And I know some people that accepted that apology. And I know some people that said, I don't want that apology. I, I want you to do better. I, I don't want words. I want action. I, I, I'm a big believer in action and accountability. And I don't blame those people for saying you're going to have to show me. How do we fix that? Well, look, I mean, that was with the view to removing um, the uh, gap in training that police officers received to ensure that, one, we're not uh, approaching uh, law enforcement prejudicially. Um, but I'm a big supporter of our Toronto Police Services to the extent that they have a very difficult job to do. And there's with very limited resources. Uh, Greg, I don't know whether or not you know the stats, but we have roughly about on command, uh, roughly about 5,500 police officers in the city, half of whom are usually auxiliary and or clerical staff. The other half are uh, uh, halved by shifts and some on vacation and the sorts. For a 3 million member population, we have to take a look at the police resources we have in the city. We're going to have to staff them, resource them, and make sure that as the city grows, because as you know, we are growing rapidly. We are expecting about a million more people in the coming three years. This is the destination of choice for all the Anglophiles that come uh, to try and find a, um, a, a new start and to improve your family conditions. They usually come to Toronto and or Vancouver, and if you're Francophone, they go to Montreal. Um, we, we are going to have to strike the right balance between policing and the citizenry and uh and and send a, a message out there that we are not going to uh, we are not going to tolerate crime and crime is taking hold in this city i got a, a minute a I, I know we'll talk after the news update but i got a minute here on that front i i don't know how to find that balance between there's obviously people that say and i i hear from a lot of cops that listen to the show i hear the two occupations i hear from the most rocco i know you're a lawyer but i hear from teachers and police officers first by the way sometimes which neither of them want to give their real name. I don't know what, what that's about, but I understand not wanting to speak out against their industry, but the good cops that listen to the show tell me we str we need to find a balance with some of the mental health challenges. We can't, we can't send people with a clipboard with mental health training to a, a situation where someone has a knife and a gun in a domestic dispute, but we shouldn't be sending a SWAT team also like we have to find that balance. And I don't know that right answer. And the problem is many of the police don't either. And that's why I've called for greater mental health supports. Uh, when we talk about increasing policing resources, we're also talking about dedicated resources to um, challenges that they face on the scene, being able to discern between a crisis situation and a true crime situation. And in that end, we're going to have a cadre of police officers that have that mental uh, health training, that mm -hmm. have that crisis intervention training. And, um, and to the extent that uh, uh, we're, we're looking for uh, the right balance, we, mm -hmm. the approach from Chief Raymer and I believe Chief Saunders before him has been to uh, empower neighborhood policing. Uh, yeah. I see them around uh, quite a bit now, and I think we should increase their presence uh, uh, and uh, uh, have a policing model that hires of the community and is for the community and uh, works with the community to ensure some safety. Uh, we're speaking that right now uh, with a gentleman running for city council, and uh, we're enjoying our conversation. We're going to dive into a few more issues here with Rocco H. M. Pong, a Toronto City Council candidate.
for Spadina Fort York. By the way, uh, you can uh, follow uh, Rocco on Twitter at Rocco for Toronto. And uh, he's rather, uh, by the way, he's rather Natalie dressed. Look, if fashion is a precursor, I, I don't think anyone should vote based on uh, that smart suit you're wearing, but no one's going to outdress you during this campaign, Rocco. I know it's a long run. People got time to shop, but I don't think anyone's going to do that. Well, Greg, mock me all you will. It's, uh, <laughs> that's not, that's it's, a compliment. <laughs> to, to be fair, no, but to be fair, it's uh, my wife that usually chooses uh, my outfit for me. My The vanity I leave to her. That's a, that's a smart move. And uh, that's the, part of, partially the secret to a happy marriage, uh, I think, uh, sometimes, is wear what she likes. Uh, that's a good policy. That's a good campaign slogan, I think, right there. I, re- I remind her, happy spouse, happy house. You know, it used to be happy wife, happy life, but I have now made it gender neutral. Happy spouse, happy house. I often respond when someone says, hey, you know, they meet my wife and they're like, you outdid yourself. And I'm like, she did pretty well also. Like, I'm no I'm no spring chicken, Rocco. Like, neither are you. Like, we got to we got to stand up for ourselves sometimes. Right. Well, in my case, I think that would be correct. I did. I did do pretty well for myself. OK, OK. Fair enough. Uh, you're you're winning votes uh, every every minute we stay on here. Uh, Spadina, Fort York now is very condo heavy, very co- lot of tall buildings with people who own. So how do you go about campaigning? How do you it's it, it's one thing to go to the suburbs, right? And it's one thing out where I am in Durham region to go door to door and, and have those conversations. But you're dealing with a lot of elevators and hallways if you really want to reach out and and meet potential voters. How do you how do you do it? You also have a a, a higher group of people in a smaller setting uh, that you can access readily and immediately. Um, and obviously, because it's the election period, as you know, uh, it, we have access to any building cooperative condominium um, that we want to campaign at. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, access is relatively easy. Uh, and meeting and talking to residents like I did this weekend, where some even invited me uh, to the rooftop or to their gatherings to uh, to participate in your siloed off community and just, uh, you know, spread the message. Uh, it really works. Uh, but I do I do love uh you know, running from lawn to lawn and just knocking on doors. But it also means that I can reach a great number of uh, voters in a very short time. I think we'll have more people when I think about COVID and politics. I think we'll have more people by August and September when you're really, you know, digging in the heels and and running. Um, that'll have a different feel than, say, May and April was for, say, MPP candidates for a provincial election. But I'm sure True. you run into people who are choosing to be cautious, more cautious and and observant than others. The risk is, as we've realized kind of several months in, it's not the same for my parents, say, as it is in their 70s, as it is for my kids who are teenagers. So, you know, I think there's no real one size fits all for healthcare. I don't think there's one size fits all for COVID concerns. But I'm sure you're conscious of that as well, that some people think the pandemic's over and I don't say that glibly they're living their lives again and vaccinated and some people are feeling like they're there's still reason to be concerned and, and you got to weigh that balance um you get a mix of both uh but at the end of the day we're still spreading the message um and you you have to appreciate that the average age in this ward uh and I think at the at the top of the hour you said uh sorry at the top of the interview you said ward eight is properly uh war 10 given the reclassification in, in 2018 yes thank um, you for that yeah uh, um, 
Look, you have those concerns and the average age here is 34. So we have a lot of people that feel uh, relatively immortal <laughs> until age catches up to them. Uh, I'm in my mid 40s now. So I, I'm very I'm, I'm more cautious in my approach. And I'm also very sensitive to the fact that there are seniors uh, who also have uh, some fear of coming into contact with people. And whenever I do meet those people, I am I, I, I take steps to make sure that you're comfortable. I also think about your um, your ability um, and co- as a lawyer, and you were telling us uh, off air. You were telling our producer that the courts are a real mess right now. There's a backlog, healthcare, big backlog, education. We're worried kids are behind, and and we got to play some catch up in our school system. But courts are a real mess right now. Long delays, long. What do you see? What could fix it in the months to come? Uh, well. Greg, you have to also appreciate that we are still in the context of a pandemic. Even though we've relaxed the mandates, we've relaxed um, uh, uh, many of the rules that were passed during COVID, um, the pandemic has not been officially declared over. Uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of the professional staff in the courts are still uh, taking um, precautions. There, um, quite a lot of the staff are still working at home. Um, the courts are not regularly open to the public. I am on Zoom in court uh, on an everyday basis. Um, and yeah, there is a bit of a backlog. What used to take me 10 minutes to do in a court of law is now taking me sometimes even uh, a month to get done. So that delay is resulting in some, uh, uh, ju- you know, y- you know, the old saying, yeah. justice delayed is justice denied. And so quite a lot of people are finding it uh, somewhat difficult to um, <clears throat> navigate the system. And then there are those people who don't have the sophisticated machinery. We are, it's ubiquitous nowadays to have a computer, to have a smartphone and everything else. But some people don't. Right. And there are persons with disabilities in the province who cannot access um, uh, Zoom as easily as some others. Uh, so I am looking forward to the courts getting back in person. I actually miss standing on my feet and, and advocating on behalf of uh, uh, my clients. And uh, and hopefully uh, when this election is done in October, um, my skills are readily transferable to advocate on behalf of all Spadina Fort York. I hear that. Uh, he's running in Ward 10 in Spadina, Fort York, Rocco H. Champong. Let's have more conversations as the summer continues, Rocco. Thanks for making us uh, a priority on this Monday morning for our listeners. We're hearing from people already enjoying hearing you and, and wanting to know more. So let's do this again. Look forward to it. And uh, thanks for making your acquaintance, Greg. You got it. Absolutely. Rocco H. Champong, uh, our guest on Toronto Today. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. We always appreciate it. Back with a live show tomorrow. You can hear it on the Radio Player Canada app or at 640toronto.com or at your AM dial at 640. Great to have you. We'll see you tomorrow morning.